It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello again, I'm Adam, your host of Merry Britsmas. Here in the UK, it's full-on summer mode, with heat waves this month breaking our hottest ever recorded temperature, and the kids, and teachers like me, breaking up for the summer holidays. So what better time to celebrate some Christmas? It is July, so that means it's Christmas in July, which, as I said last month, I don't quite understand as a celebration with June being the actual halfway point. But who cares? If you're listening to a Christmas podcast in July, let's use it to celebrate and get super festive for this month's episode. I'm going to discuss some kind of summary British Christmas songs, a nativity that goes dreadfully wrong, and a continuation of stories from wartime Britain during the festive season. I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with the story of the Nativity. If you're not, I don't think you're really a Christmas fan, so it's odd you're listening to this. Did you get lost? Are you meant to be listening to Cherry Business, the podcast all about the commercial profession of fruit? Well, you're here now, so settle in for some festive silliness. And the TV episode I'm discussing today is very, very silly. The play that goes wrong started life as, well, a play. It premiered in 2012 in London, created by the Mischief Theatre Company, with the premise being that the Cornley Polytechnic Drama Society is putting on a murder mystery play. But, throughout the performance, everything goes wrong. Sets fall down, actors miss their marks and forget lines, mistakes are made and general hilarity ensues. It's carefully constructed, of course, all rigorously choreographed and prepared for, all while seeming like real mistakes. The show was a success, touring the UK and even going to America and Australia. It then took the jump to TV, with specials of Peter Pan Goes Wrong and Christmas Carol Goes Wrong, perhaps for a future episode, and then a full TV series. Each episode has the drama society putting on a different mini-production. That, of course, goes wrong. The show has had two series, as well as one Christmas special, The Nativity, airing on December 22, 2020 on the BBC. The cast stays the same throughout the show, and we find out that some of them have relationship difficulties and problems that spill over into the productions. There's Chris, the long-suffering leader and director of the troupe, Robert, who believes he should be the leader and tries to take control of the stage constantly, Dennis, who often misremembers lines and misinterprets directions, Max, an actually talented but quite hammy performer, Sandra, an actress who tends to overact, Vanessa, who struggles with improvisation and accidents, Annie, who doesn't seem to want to be there most of the time, and Trevor, the stagehand who often appears on screen accidentally, despite the fact he should be unseen behind the scenes. The Nativity episode begins with our narrator and director, Chris, at a piano explaining the production and some key information for the audience. Good evening, and welcome to this festive edition of Play of the Week. 
I'm Crispin, the director. The BBC has recently refused to fund any more episodes of Play of the Week, but thanks to some additional sponsorship, we are gladly able to continue with tonight's production of The Nativity. I should also inform you that a fire alarm test was scheduled to happen in our studio tonight. I did email the BBC to try to have it moved, but they said they would rather disturb our broadcast than one of their empty studios. <laughs> I called their bluff, and after a frank exchange, we will now be having two fire alarm tests tonight. <laughs> so, the actors are prepared, the stage is set. Please enjoy The Nativity, sponsored by Brookshaw Corporate Finance. The whole set is a storybook that rotates scene to scene, beginning of course with Mary and Joseph in their home, but they're prematurely interrupted by someone from above with fireworks shooting out of his limbs. Oh, Joseph. Behold, I am the Archangel Gabriel. Witness the light of God. Kneel before the messenger of Not the Lord. Not yet! Joseph, nothing interesting ever happens in Nazareth. Also, the sponsors subtly creep into the storytelling. We must put our trust in God. Or perhaps we should consider a small business loan allowing us to expand our range of products. But would the interest not cripple us? Not at the 3.4% variable APR offered exclusively by Brookshaw Corporate Finance. Now that's a miracle. Archangel Gabriel appears again at the right time, but falls from his place on high, and finally gives them the important, if not slightly sinister, news. I've been sent to tell you that you've been impregnated remotely. Sorry, that came out very sinister. It's a good thing, the babe is a gift from the Lord. And I have been sent to tell you from on high. I've been sent to tell you from on high. That... I've been sent to tell you from here. That this child shall be the son of God. And the sponsor subtly makes another appearance. Heed my words, for I'm a prophet of the Lord, and everyone likes prophets. Brookshaw Corporate Finance, even Jesus loves cash. <laughs> the set moves around to reveal the shepherds, peacefully watching their flock. Shabber, tis a mild winter's eve for sin. There it is, there it is, that's the fire alarm. Everyone stay calm, just stay in your seats. It's a drill, a drill. Everyone stay calm, it won't be a moment. You need a patient, it has become necessary to evacuate. No, 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 it's just a drill. Personal belongings, you need to evacuate. No, go backstage. Gabriel reappears to the shepherds, this time perched atop a rickety ladder and losing his prop halo from a pie, leading to the greatest linguistic gag of the show. I bring good tidings of great joy! <laughs> halo. Halo. Hello. Hello. Halo. Hello. No. <laughs> Halo. Over there. 
floor. Hello. No. Halo. Halo. Is it me you're looking for? No. The round sparkly hat. All right. Give me my round sparkly hat. Not my personal one. The halo. Oh. Hiya. Hiya. No. Hiya. Hiya. Forget the halo. Be not afraid. Jesus. No. He isn't born yet. Another turn of the set leads to Herod's castle, where he enters via a rotating stage that won't stop rotating. I slept fitfully. My dreams were full of dark and grim tidings. What saw you in these dreams, sire? I saw a babe of great majesty, yet it was wrapped in swaddling shawl. Her most troubling, sire! And the wise men get confused, well, at least Dennis does. And I am a shepherd. You're a wise man. Chris said I was an idiot. Still, you're both. I am an idiot who is also wise and a shepherd. As Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, the actors gather around the piano to sing, but Dennis messing up the sheep music makes things difficult. And Dennis again gets confused as the innkeeper. Hello, I'm... I'm... Jesus Christ. I'm Jesus Christ! The Saviour is born! to us a child is born! No, that's cut! Carry on! Yes, there's no room at the pub. In! Okay. Out! Out! There's no room at the out! In! Alright! No, get out! Get out! Get out! Oh, not that! Not that! There's no room at the inn! Oh, yes, yes, there's no room at the inn! In the stable, the three wise men reappear to give their gifts, which I feel may have some subtle sponsorship links. Become bearing gifts. I offer you gold standard accreditation for all your business loans. I offer you frank and sensible advice on all your financial interests. And I offer you sustained low-cost mortgage rates. Awaiting Jesus' arrival, 
it's time for some silent night that becomes not so silent. Archangel Gabriel appears on an industrial lift, packing many more fireworks that send him careening around the studio, knocking over the whole set. Behold the light of God! <laughs> and at that sacred moment... was brought forth into life. It's a chaotic show with so many quick gags and jokes and far too many visual and slapstick moments that I obviously couldn't share through this audio medium. I'd recommend watching it and all their stuff to see the absurdity and perfect timing they evidently have to create such humour. It's a hilarious show and I love the interplay between characters, whether it's a little look or a full-blown fight. Over the series you get to know each actor's issues and personality, from Dennis's confusion to Robert's tendency to take over and seek centre stage at any opportunity. It's not the usual nativity, but it's a hilarious take on the whole thing. Before I jump to the next section, I know many of us have had some rather funny nativity stories from childhood or relatives' childhoods. I have one quick one to share with you from when my brother was in the nativity as a kid in a church in our hometown. My brother is a cheeky little bugger at the best of times, and he started the nativity by grinning to the camera my dad had as he walked down the aisle. Once on stage, during a rendition of Little Donkey, he decided to mess with the kid in front of him who was dressed up as a barnyard animal. By picking up their ears, and then dropping them just as they turned around each time. We filmed all this, and you can just hear my family trying to stifle laughter in the church, especially when he does it and almost gets caught, pausing his pinched little hands mid-air, looking around as nonchalantly as he can to pretend he's an innocent kid. If you have any Nativity Goes Wrong stories, please get in touch via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter to share, and maybe I'll read them out next time. I continue my chapter-by-chapter exploration of Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart, selecting key extracts of interviews and statements from those that experience wartime firsthand. We've looked at evacuees and festive food and the Blitz, and this month we're going to hear from some voices from the past sharing their experience of how rationing meant that food and other things had to be a little makeshift. The government put out leaflets and articles about how to make food last longer, or how to use odd replacements for missing or lacking ingredients. Food rationing didn't start until 1940, so Christmas 1939 seemed quite normal. By 1940, magazines such as Good Housekeeping, Women's Weekly and Women's Own were giving advice such as, who's to say you can't make merry as well on stuffed rabbit as stuffed turkey? And Roy from Ealing remembers something linked to this when he was around 9 or 10. Christmas 1940 was approaching, but this was hardly a season of goodwill to all men. We could think of a few exceptions. It was to be a very austere occasion. Mum was fretting about what she could organise for dinner, 
Then one day Dad came in swinging a dead rabbit by its ears. We never did find out where he got it from, although we knew he had a friend who was a bit of a poacher. Mum was horrified. What have you got there, she said. I'm not skinning that thing. You'll have to do it. Dad was a bit squeamish, so eventually he took it down to the local butcher and got him to do it in exchange for a big chunky bar of soap from the shop. So we had a skinned rabbit, and that was our Christmas dinner. A few days earlier to our surprise, Mum had announced, I'm going to make a cake. We all looked at each other. A what? What with? Dad exclaimed. Not being involved, I had no idea of the ultimate ingredients, but I do know that carrots, powdered egg, and national wholemeal breadcrumbs featured strongly. It certainly looked good. Taste? Well, debatable is the word, but we scoffed a lot. The first foods to be rationed were bacon, butter and sugar in January 1940. This was followed by all meat and margarine in July. The following year, eggs were added to the list. By Christmas 1942, the Ministry of Food published adverts thanking the British public and offering suggestions such as a Christmas pudding with carrot and potato, Christmas fruit pies with prunes and stale cake crumbs, an emergency cream with warm water, margarine, milk powder, sugar and vanilla. As we can see in Ross's story, a little had to go a long way. We kept chickens and had them as a treat. We certainly had chicken for Christmas dinner, but only tiny bits. My uncle and aunt and cousin Christine came from next door, so there would have been at least six of us, and sometimes other relatives too. That meant there wasn't much to go around. I remember one time when I was given a leg, I was over the moon. Even though I was an only child, I was always taught to share, and to get an entire leg to myself was amazing. My mother was strict about sharing. There was one time I won a banana in a raffle. That was a thrill because we hardly ever saw bananas, and my mother made me share it with Christine. I ended up with about two bites, so either it was a small banana, or Christine got a lot more. Potatoes on Christmas Day I remember well. We grew them, and I think we had cabbage, but we didn't have mincemeat so there were no mince pies. My father used to work for the Ministry of Food and got to be the deputy head for our area. In fact, the top man was discovered to be fraudulent, so for a while my father was the head. Our local grocer obviously thought Dad was worth keeping in with, and offered my mother extra bits of this and that or things like sultanas which were in short supply. But my mother would never accept anything. I remember it clearly. There was a scene in the shop when she said, No, put it away, I don't want it. It was typical of her. Just as she was fierce about sharing, she was adamant about not taking more than her fair share. But it did mean we couldn't make a proper Christmas cake. It wasn't just from the grocer mum wouldn't accept things. There was a time when I might have been about 12 or 13 that we had two Canadian soldiers with us at Christmas time. They were lovely and had access to all sorts of things, bread, biscuits, toffees. My mother didn't accept anything from them either, but I did, and two or three toffees made all the difference to my Christmas that year. Food wasn't the only thing rationed, as from 1941 clothes were rationed with a coupon or point system, just like food. It included things like towels or tea towels, skirts became shorter as a result of saving material, and many saved coupons for gifts. Others tried a barter system to swap items. But we can see the love that parents have for their children at Christmas, doing everything they can to make them happy, as seen in the story of Angela, who was a teenager during the war. My father gave me his clothing coupon so I could add them to mine and buy a coat. It was his Christmas present to me in 1943 when I was 14. I remember it so well, it was beige, a sort of corded material, not wool but some substitute for wool. 
It had a high waist, and then it flared out from there down to mid-calf length. It was my first grown-up coat and I loved it. But I remember there being quite an upset at home, because Dad had given me his coupons, and Mom didn't think it was good for me to have everything I wanted. She must have forgiven us though, because by the next Christmas I was old enough to be allowed to go to dances at the local barracks, and she made me a party dress out of parachute silk. It wasn't silk at all. It was more like nylon, but you could buy it in shops as long as you had enough coupons. They even dyed it different colours and patterns. It was a lovely dress made of two different materials. Tight under the bust and full from there down, a plain collar and plain skirt, but a floral pattern and on panels set into the side of the skirt. So there was a flash of flowery material when I danced. I remember being thrilled at having a dress like that for the barracks Christmas do. I'm Matt. I'm a podcaster, a lifelong Christmas nerd, and a professional Santa. And I have a Christmas podcast called North Pole Radio. Each week I sit down with a fellow Christmas performer, a fellow Christmas podcaster, or just a fellow Christmas nerd, and talk about all things Christmas. There's a heavy focus on the art of portraying Santa, but we also cover Christmas movies, Christmas songs, Christmas food, and, well, basically anything Christmas. So check out North Pole Radio wherever you download podcasts. Christmas in July for us in the Northern Hemisphere means celebrating a bit of Christmas in the summer months, which has included a fair few heat waves and sunny days in the last month. This makes festive feels a bit strange, especially here in the UK where summer is historically two or three days of blazing oppressive heat, and then middling cloud and occasional drizzle for the rest of the so-called sunshine months. With this in mind, it's understandable there aren't really many Christmas songs talking about sunny weather, summer or heat in general over here. Looking elsewhere in the world, there's all manner of fun summer-adjacent seasonal music. The likes of the Beach Boys, American surf rock, Australian comedic takes, South American vibes, and various covers of the classics Meli Kaliki Maka or Feliz Navidad. However, we're Merry Britsmas, so it's British stuff all the darn time. That means that I had to, as always, scour my archives, aka the internet and my iTunes and my Spotify, to find a few British festive songs that kind of sometimes link to summer and sunshine. First up is a cover of the aforementioned Feliz Navidad, originally by Puerto Rican songwriter Jose Feliciano, meaning Merry Christmas in Spanish. The track just feels sunny and joyful, and there's lots of good covers out there, but I could only find one British one from a great London-based indie post-punk band called Shame, who I've had the fortune of seeing live with their rather dynamic performances, and they put their all into this cover recorded in 2018.
track is an original from a Christmas album that came out in 2020 called Christmas in the Islands. The islands in question are most likely Jamaica, as the artist who released it is from there, the legendary Shaggy. You may be pointing out that Shaggy is not British, as I have just told you, and although I think he feels like an honorary Brit, thanks to big hit singles here such as It Wasn't Me and Angel, wasn't me. Saw me banging on the sofa. It wasn't me. I even had her in the shower. It wasn't me. She even caught me on camera. It wasn't me. She saw the marks on my shoulder. It wasn't me. Heard the words that I told her. But in order to make us all feel better and more British, the song I'm going to share today features British soul singer Joss Stone, who steps in to sing on Sunny Celebration, all about spending the holidays in a sunny setting with white sandy beaches. Let's spend Christmas, huh? Yeah. Shoot it! A birthday celebration. Uh. Tropical terrain. Oh, you're me! With feel like a vacation. Winter time has came. some alternative stuff now, with a band I only recently discovered despite their fantastic band name. Brute Alligators are a four-piece band from Hitchin who are usually quite aggressive alternative emo rock, releasing their debut album in 2021. But they also released two Christmas songs, one of which I might cover in the future, but I'll share their earlier single first, the appropriately titled Christmas in July, which takes a more chilled indie pop approach with lyrics about barbecues and kangaroos that also makes me think there may be an Australian connection. And we'll have Christmas in July When the temperature's below five And the sunset's quarter past three And we'll make a batch of mulled wine And get wrecked down by a fire Fill the house with joy and Christmas trees Just move Back home with me. Just move back home with me. I've spent almost seven holidays. Lastly, let's talk about an EP by Brighton based indie folk duo Peggy Sue. They've released five albums of their own via Wichita and Yep Rock Records, as well as touring with the likes of Mumford & Sons and Jack White. They decided to go outside of their comfort zone in 2019 with a Surf Rock Covers Christmas EP, with five tracks taking on fun surf-style covers of the likes of White Christmas, bells
and Jingle Bell Rock. So that's Christmas in July, and we barrel onwards into the second half of the year, meaning we get closer and closer to Christmas and can start amping up those festive feels with even more Christmassy stuff. Not that it's not festive at the moment, of course. Please get in touch via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, where you can find me on Merry Britsmas. Do you know any other summery British Christmas songs? Have you ever seen a nativity that went wrong, perhaps when you were little, or going to see a family member's? Let me know, and I'll see you, or at least speak to you, next month. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.